the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's uh, six minutes after six on a Wednesday. That means it's hump day, middle of the weekday, over the hill day. We're closer to Friday than we were on Monday, and we're closer to a three-day weekend than we were on Monday. And, of course, that is a, uh, a good thing, just, just to be, uh, you know, for sure with you, for you to understand that. Because I, I can't wait for this week to be over just because I got a three-day weekend. I like three-day weekends. Today was uh, my Social Security payday. That's always a good day as well. Uh, I get to I have that coming into. Yeah, I'm one of those. I'm one of those old fogies that you keep hearing about. High risk people shouldn't be going out. Afraid that I'm going to get COVID-19, which I'm not afraid of at all. But the <laughs> bottom line is, is that uh, that's that that's my life right now. Let me run through what's going to happen today. We're going to talk with. Uh, our good friend Michael Cutler, he's with us, former ICE officer uh, for years and years. And uh, But we're not going to talk about immigration today. We're going to talk about the Democrats. Well, that's got to be my favorite subject to talk about because they never, they never uh, let me down as far as things to talk about. Coming up at 7 o'clock, Congressman French Hill will join us uh, for an hour. <laughs> Uh, Lars Larson will join us at 7:35 from Portland, Oregon. He's talk show up there. Talk show up there. KXL uh, is his uh, radio station, and it, I don't think it's by chance that both of us are on 101. Just to be honest with you, uh, he'll be on with us. They got weird things going on in Portland, but when aren't <laughs> things not weird in Portland? In the last hour, Joe and Duck come on. Our uh, our car our car guys. Uh, the embodiment of our local click and clack, and they'll be here to talk to you about your automobile and answer questions and and uh, bring up new information that you need to know about. So that's the way the show pans out today, and it's going to be a good one, and it's always a good one when I can start it right off with my good friend Michael Cutler. It's good to have him with us today. And, Michael, this, it, this, uh, this article that you're putting to get, that you put together, where you're talking about uh, the Democrats and what yes. you want people to know about, that, that this is a conservative issue that's going on right now. Uh, I like what you say. Uh, you know, it, you admit that uh, you've basically been a Democrat most of your life. However, yeah, uh, absolutely. you're not a blind Democrat. 
you can see when the party left you and you, you didn't have to leave the party. The party took off to the left and have have definitely done that. I mean, you, you, well, I'll let you talk about it. I mean, okay. this is not the same party mm-hmm. you knew back in the 60s. No, and, and I'm also on Social Security, as you are. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I just want to start out make people understand that language is very, very critical. And I want everyone listening to the program to make a promise that you will never, ever again use the word political correctness. That term is a lie. This is all Orwellian newspeak, altering the language to alter the thoughts and understandings of the American people. It's propaganda, period. Okay. With words, when you can alter the words, you alter the way people see the issues. And the Democrat Party that I joined back when I was in college, I hate to think about how many years ago that was, was the party that basically supported blue-collar America. My dad and my mom were my biggest heroes. They always will be. I lost them tragically to cancer when I was still in college within a year of each other, but I still stand on their shoulders. And my pop was a blue-collar guy. He was a tradesman, a plumber did construction work. If you asked him what he did for a living, he would puff out his chest and say, I'm a plumber by trade. He went through an extensive apprenticeship. And let's face it, Blue Collar built this country. Without Blue Collar, we wouldn't have America. We would all be sitting in an empty field somewhere. So I was always proud of what my dad did. He was very skilled. He knew what he was doing. He had extreme talent. And if I had a problem and my dad showed up, he was the cavalry. I swore I thought he wore a red cape, okay? And the Democrat Party used to support blue-collar America. The Republicans used to support the people who owned businesses. Occasionally there was a clash, which is okay. You know, I like to make the comparison about D-Day. Imagine what happened on D-Day and why we were successful. If it wasn't for the gallantry of the soldiers who were willing to lay down their lives on on that beach, um, nothing would have happened. We would have lost the war. If it wasn't for the leadership of the brilliant generals, Eisenhower and others, we wouldn't have succeeded. It was a team effort. It was the, you know, if you will, uh, the idea of the grunts on the ground, plus the leaders at the top of the food chain, working as a team, yielded the results that we got during the Second World War. And today, it's the same sort of thing. The business owners are, are those generals leading the charge, but without the dedicated workers who punch that time clock and do what they have to do, no company could succeed in America today. It shouldn't be that we're at war with each other. We may have different perspectives, but at the end of the day, this is about building our country. And the Democrats and Republicans, you know, they had the back and forth looking at the two sides from two different perspectives, but they worked as a team for what was the be- in the best interest of the survival of our country and the next generation of Americans. That's gone. I am firmly convinced that the Democrat Party today is determined to destroy the middle class, to push as many Americans to the unemployment line as they can, and that would make America basically a one-party country. You would have to support the Democrats because without the money that they offer you, most Americans could not survive. Uh, You know, my dad wisely observed way back when that if you want to turn a capitalist into a communist, it's easy. Just take away their money. And they've been uh-huh. using immigration and other tactics to accomplish this, that, just that. You know, we keep hearing, well, you know, um, it's the Democrats that want to import all these foreign workers. Well, they do. But the bigger issue is they would use those foreign workers to displace Americans, destroy the middle class, and turn the country to the left. And the Republicans, as far as I'm concerned, 
are so greedy to have the cheap labor and do the bidding of the Chamber of Commerce. I call them the Chamber of Horrors and all these other lobbying groups. Let's face it, those massive campaign contributions are bribes. Let's call them what they are. So you've got both parties seeking the same goal, open borders, cheap labor, massive profits in the short term for American companies. But if you look a little bit further down the road, you're looking at the destruction of the United States and with it the American dream and all that generations of Americans have built uh, going back uh, a quarter of a millennia. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think you're right. You're right on. I mean, look, I open, I, I sit down in the morning with a cup of coffee and I open my uh, uh, my computer on my phone and because I don't use a laptop anymore, I don't need one. My computer, my computer and my phone is as strong or, or better than my, my laptop now. I, uh, I open that up. I go to my emails, and the first one I see uh, there uh, makes me take a big gulp of coffee, and I open it up because it's from you, and it says, For Dems to succeed, Americans must fall. Inside the left's morbid agenda to destroy America's middle class. Now, i got to tell you what. I get up early, early, early in the morning. And that was the first thing I read on Tuesday. And I have been believing this for years now of the Democratic Party. And I definitely believe over the last three years this is the way the Democratic Party has had. And in the last six months, there's just no doubt about it. Michael, they're trying to bring this country down. Yeah, they are. They're kicking Americans in the teeth. And, and, you know, when I think about Nancy Pelosi, by the way, just think about the words that we've been using, that we are on self-quarantine. This is not a self-quarantine. I am self-quarantined, okay, and I'll tell you why. I'm 72. I live in the center of the pandemic that has struck America. I work from my home, so there's no reason for me to be out and about. My wife uh, works from home. We get everything we need delivered to us. Where are we going? So we've self-quarantined. Even if they open Uh things up today, I'm not in any rush to head out. But this isn't a self-quarantine. This is a lockdown. You know, the the party that doesn't want borders to keep America separate from the world, that's called sovereignty, have turned the front door of our house, the threshold to the front door of our houses, into a border that must not be crossed. That's what they created. So that border security they're adamant about, then they will arrest you if you dare step outside and conduct yourself in a way that they've deemed inappropriate, even if it makes no sense. And they use the argument, well, we're following the science. Well, I was originally an engineering student. Two of my boys are engineers, two of my four kids. I guess my, my love of science rubbed off on them. This isn't science. You have one imbecile saying, well, you can walk on the wet sand, but you can't walk on the dry sand. I'm trying to figure out how you get from the dry sand, from the sidewalk <laughs> and, and hop over the dry sand. I mean, think about what they're telling you. When yes. I was a kid, they used to have a joke going around when I was in junior high. and somehow this idiotic joke stuck in my head. You go to the dentist and he says, your teeth are fine, but your gums got to go. You know, I mean, think about that. <laughs> Yeah, I I understand what you're saying, Michael, because we get all kinds of conflicting uh, information. And and I'm one of those people who loves news. But I got to tell you what, uh, the way news is today, they report, you know, things that they don't even get the clarification on. They don't have uh, specialists giving them the information. They see something on 
on uh, YouTube, and they decide that must be true, and they, they put it out as, as gospel. It, it's scary, scary well, stuff. And then you got you got a mayor by the name of de Blasio. We call him Blah Blah Blasio here because he never stops talking, who threatens people that if they go out in the water on a hot uh, day, he's going to send the police out to, to snatch him out of the water. Well, we, I call him Da Blasio, D-U-H, Da Blasio. <laughs> I mean, this guy is a scary guy. We have Cuomo, who's so busy running his mouth, he can't run the state, or maybe he's ruining the state. But, but again, why are they calling it self-quarantine? It's to make, not make it sound as, as totalitarian as it is. This isn't self-quarantine. You're being quarantined by an authority that I believe doesn't have the authority to do it. Now, we've got to be careful. Let's be real honest. This is a serious problem. But the decisions being made by these imbeciles don't do anything that makes sense unless you think that they're trying to destroy the country, that it makes perfect sense. And by the way, think about Nancy Pelosi. I've come to call him Nancy, let them eat ice cream Pelosi. Of course. Of course. One of the most primal things that we have in our lives is the need to eat and drink, okay? Right. Animals need to eat and drink. There are millions of Americans. Thank God I'm in my home. I have a pension check. We, we have food. I'm happy. But I, I, I want to cry every day imagining the people who aren't in that position. I remember I've been on my own since I was 21 when I was between jobs and so forth, scared to death that I wouldn't be able to pay the mortgage to keep my parents' house. Or, or, or buy food, okay? Right. There are millions, tens of millions of Americans in that situation right now. They have children. They're depending on charitable organizations for their next meal. They don't know if they could get the money to put the lights on in their houses. If they're in a house, maybe now they're homeless. And what does Pelosi show off? A $26,000 refrigerator that's big enough to put an entire cow in it. And ice cream that costs $20 a pint or 18 whatever it is, this ridiculous designer ice cream. Why in the world would you stand in front of that freezer with all that ice cream at a time when millions of Americans are scared to death about where their next meal is coming from? Why wouldn't you stand in front of a bookcase or a blank wall or sit on a chair with cabinets behind you, whatever? There's a million places. I have never seen anyone else in their kitchen in front of a refrigerator like that, you know, going rummaging through her ice cream. This was the ultimately go-to-hell moment from Nancy Pelosi, and she is third in line in the succession to the presidency. The Democratic Party has absolutely lost its collective minds. They've lost their moral compass. This woman is the wicked witch of the West. And, and to that point, I've heard a rumor, but it's not confirmed yet, that the FAA may be suspending her pilot's license for her broomstick. <laughs> the idea that she could stand in front of that freezer knowing full well how many Americans are scared to death and suffering and hungry was a level of, as we say in Brooklyn, chutzpah, that I didn't think was possible. She outdid herself. And so this is where, where they're at, and they're talking about declaring illegal aliens to be essential workers. I know you didn't want to talk about immigration, but it has to figure in the equation that well, I made sure it does. In, my, in my article. Because immigration isn't minor, folks. It is the issue. You know, everyone asks the question, should we have the military backing up the Border Patrol? Think of this, folks. It's immigration agents and Border Patrol agents who back up the U.S. military. The common shared mission for all branches of the armed forces is to keep America's enemies as far away as possible. Up close and in person, guess who gets that job? 
the second largest contingent of agents assigned to the Joint Terrorism Task Force are immigration agents. Think about that. All right. So while we think about water- it, well, hold on, hold on, Michael. While we think about that, okay. we got to get a break in. All right. I figured. You, you bet. I, I, I heard you took a br- take a breath, and when I heard that, I, I jumped in. My, my, <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> Michael Cutler is my guest. He'll be with us for the hour. It's 22 minutes after 6. Uh, it's going to be a nice day today, partly sunny, and a high of 79 degrees today. You can't really complain about that. That's going to be nearly a perfect day today here in Arkansas. 54 degrees in uh, Hot Springs Village right now in Little Rock. We're looking at 57. We've got more coming your way after the traffic, after the weather, here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. 27 after 6 in uh, Cabot. We're looking at 56 degrees. That's where I'm at. Uh, if you're anywhere else in, uh, you know, the middle of uh, Arkansas, whether it's Conway, Pine Bluff, Hot Springs, Little Rock, whatever, you're sitting in the 57 to 56 uh, temperature uh, climb, uh, unless you're down in Hot Springs and you're amongst all those trees and it's 54 there. So uh, that's where we're at. We're going for a high of 79 today, partly sunny skies. It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful day today. Tomorrow, uh, still some sun, but it's going to be turning cloudy uh, and getting up to 78. I'm going to go see a buddy of mine tomorrow uh, for lunch uh, in Little Rock. We're going to, you know, the restaurants are starting to reopen. And uh, we're going to go um, and get together and have lunch at about 1130 uh, in the morning. And then I will come on home. So, I'm, you know, we'll, we'll practice social distancing. We won't hug each other or, you know, kiss each other on the cheeks or anything like that. Uh, and I've been doing knuckles for a lot longer. I'm, I'm one of the first people that believe what Dr. Yamauchi said on my show years ago to do a fist bump and don't shake hands. Shake hand, shaking hands just shares diseases. So here we are talking about uh, the Democratic Party doing something that we've known they've been trying to do for the last few years, maybe last decade, to be honest, and that's destroy America. Michael Cutler is our special guest. And, Michael, you were going to make a point about uh, immigration. Let's set up for the next half hour by you setting up for people in one minute why immigration is so important. Because it impacts every challenge and threat we face. It impacts our, our economy. It impacts jobs. It impacts education, health care. Uh, it overwhelms us if we don't get, get a handle on it. And that's not to say we're anti-immigrant. You know, the media lie through their teeth. You're either pro-immigrant or anti-immigrant. No, it's either you want immigration anarchy, which is where the Democrats are, or you want that immigration system that honors America's proud tradition of being a nation of immigrants. So think of it this way, folks. We are a nation of immigrants. We are not a nation of trespassers. And I'm first-generation American. So let's really, we have to put our head on straight and understand really the magnitude of this crisis that's been created for us by unscrupulous politicians. All right. So Michael's going to be back with us uh, right after the news and a break that we've got coming up. And uh, we will talk about all of this because in Nancy Pelosi's Heroes Bill, the 1,800-page, let's just give money away uh, legislation she was proposing, she wanted to give a lot of it to illegal immigration. All right. 
right. Well, we are back with the Dave Ellswick show. I think Dave just stepped out. Um, and so I think he was uh, watching Fox News or watching Fox Business. But we are back with Michael Cutler. And I think Dave is coming back. All right. I am here. Yes, Dave. We are on the air. Okay. I was catching a story as... Now, when I'm in the studio, the big screen TV is right across from me. It's right in my eyesight, so I can follow news while I'm on the air. I can't do that here at my house. I'm in my dining room. So i got to move into the living room, uh, which means i got to get up from this table and go to my left to get into the living room. And I've I got a 70-inch big screen TV over there. And uh, I jump in front of it for a few moments and uh, catch the headlines. I keep the TV. People always say, well, what do you watch in the morning? I, uh, I watch Maria Bartoloma. I watch Fox Business News because I get tired of Fox and Friends. Uh, too much happy talk for me. I want news. And uh, the news I'm really interested in typically is business news because business news really will affect uh, the other news of the day. It's just the way it works. And they're talking to the head of Madura right now, who is the company who is working so diligently on a vaccine. And they're questioning. Some people have been questioning about the information that they left off early this this week about, you know, they, they reported on eight people showing antibodies uh, being produced by uh, their uh, their bodies after they got this vaccine for COVID-19 and everybody got excited. And then somebody said, well, wait a second. They did 45 people. We're only hearing about eight. So the guy that CEO is on right now talking about it. Very interesting what he's saying. Uh, he, can, he said that uh, I can guarantee uh, people to know that there's a... Uh, uh, that of all, all 45 people have showed an increase in antibodies. So, and, cool. and, and Maria makes the statement, said, well, you're going to be putting this in scientific journals. And he said, of course. He said, but we got to wait. We've got to wait for Fauci's people, basically, that's what he said, to look over all the data. They look at every, every one of the blood tests and make sure that nothing's being, you know, uh, presented that isn't true and so uh, to me sounds like to me it's even better news than what we thought it was so we'll find out by the way michael i i'm, I'm thinking about putting some money behind the stock i just saw uh there's a company now that has made a new product you're gonna love this heidi it's called van doe d-o-u-g-h van doe <laughs> and the dough looks like uh, like Van Gogh painted on it. And uh, you bake your bread, and the top of your bread looks like uh, something that Van Gogh would, would have done. I just, I just thought that the name was pretty good, Van Gogh. That Doe. sounds really cool. Yeah. I'd, I'd buy that. <laughs> yeah, for some big dinner I'm going to have, actually, you know. I actually, went to his, I actually went to his museum in Amsterdam way back when, many, many years ago. And, uh, oh, you saw the real thing. You saw the real, real Van Gogh's, yeah. He's one of my favorite pictures uh, or artists. He was just such a bold artist. I mean, Starry Sky, Sorry Night, and all of that. Yep. Good stuff. Did yep. you hear? Did you? <laughs> you're gonna love this one, well, Michael. For the people out there that just want something to to to, to scare them, 
I want you to think of art for just a moment. What picture, as a seminal piece of art, do you think would scare people right now? It's been around for a long, long time. Salvador Dali with the the uh, oozing clocks, perhaps. No, no, that the, uh, that's only for people that are doing acid. Um, no, we're. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking. I'm talking. The the primal scream. Ah, okay. Yes. People are looking at yeah. that and they said, "That's how I feel inside." And I'm like, "Well, you got part of what art is all about. It's there to connect sure with is. you." It's- and that's why expression is so important, and that's why the First Amendment is so important. You know, yeah, and that's why the, the Democrats Amendment. are trying I mean, to... need to, but the first... So, so let's just, with the time we have, I just want to get into quickly a couple of things they did in the so-called Heroes Act. There was a, a bill that was passed in 1933 by President FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, called the Buy American Act. And the reason that he passed that act, Congress, both parties got together... 1932 was when the market hit rock bottom. And in response, they said, okay, the federal government from now on will buy American, provided that whatever it is the government needs, if it's made in America, we have to buy it. We can't buy from outside the country, because if you buy stuff made by Americans, it keeps Americans working. Okay? In fact, Roosevelt created the 40-hour work week. It wasn't the unions. He said, if you have more work for someone than a 40-hour week, don't give them overtime. Hire somebody else. Get more people working. It was about jobs for Americans. Makes sense. He enforced the immigration laws. We don't want foreigners taking jobs Americans need. Fair enough. So, in the bill, no more Buy American. And President Trump just boosted the Buy American Act. Why in the world, if you're concerned about America, why in this particular moment would you end the Buy American Act? And that's exactly what Pelosi served up. You know, she taught, taught us volumes about her when Obama, uh, when the Obamacare bill was working its way through the process. And she said, you won't know what's in it until you vote for it. That's right. Understand what this woman is about. This isn't a one-off. This is a consistent pattern of betrayal of American workers by Pelosi and the train that she pulled of the Democrat Party. We're going to do everything we can to unemploy Americans. Alan Greenspan testified to Chuck Schumer back on April 30th, 2009. I'll never forget it. I was furious. He said that the solution to wage inequality is to do what Bill Gates wants, flood America with a bunch of H-1B visa holders. Through competition, we will eliminate the wage premium we pay to this privileged elite. That's what he referred to middle-class workers as being, the privileged elite so that we reduce significantly wage inequality between Americans who have skills and Americans who have lesser skills. In okay, other words, so we're going to kill the middle class. You're talking so about You're talking about the things that happened like up there in Disneyland at, in Orlando, Disney World where they fired all of their IT people and brought Indian workers in instead. Yes, and by the way, Bob Goodlatte, who was the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee and a Republican, I had a 30-minute meeting with him about five or six years ago, and I asked him about Greenspan and why he wasn't making it public in the political campaigns. He wouldn't answer me, and then finally he said, listen, I used to be an immigration lawyer, and my son is involved with computers. Well, I looked up Bobby Goodlatte, and he got to start with Zuckerberg at Facebook, and Goodlatte, the Republican, had a very lucrative H-1B visa practice before he went to Congress. Of course he in did. Fact, he had a woman working for him in the subcommittee 
who was from India. And I have nothing against Indians, okay? That's not what this is about. But you would think that the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee would be focused on what's in the best interest of Americans, and it's not. If you want to see collusion, ladies and gentlemen, look no further than both political parties and what they have done to American workers by importing foreign competition. And President Trump was the guy who's been standing against it, although um, maybe not so much with the visas. And it, in fact, um, you know, he's been taken to task. Laura Ingram went after him about that issue at an interview she did with him a couple of months ago. But here's the thing that the Democrats are really pushing for, and I want you to understand what it really means. They okay. want universal health care for illegal aliens, and they want no border security. That would turn oh, yeah. the United States of America into the ER for the world, the emergency rooms for the world. We would be attracting people with dangerous diseases, overwhelm the hospital system. We'd be in a world of trouble, and they want comprehensive reform. And I think I've mentioned it before, but I've got to mention it again. That I mentioned this in my article, I hope, after the show. Everyone will go to frontpagemag.com and check this out. I also do podcasts, by the way, for Dennis Michael Lynch over at Team DML, and I do my own radio show on Friday evenings on Blog Talk Radio, the Michael Cutler Hour. But what I wrote about was this notion of comprehensive immigration reform. Years ago, I came to call it the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act because there would be no way to interview all these people, let alone do field investigations. And Jeff Sessions liked what I said so much in my article, my op-ed for the Washington Times back then. He quoted me from the floor of the U.S. Senate on three separate days and then attributed the ability to, to defeat that legislation by using my words and sent me a very nice certificate commemorating it. Well, today I've given it a new name. I call it the Overwhelm America Act. Here's my question. How many aliens do you think would likely get green cards if we were stupid and corrupt enough as a country to pass comprehensive immigration reform? The number, I think, will shock you. What do you think the number would be? Now, we've oh, been man, told there's I... 11 million illegal aliens, and some universities say it's probably double that. I would argue there's 30 million illegals here. Yeah, I, I, have, I, have, I have no idea, Michael. It would be probably unbelievable. It would be. Are you ready for this? I, I, I yeah. did the math, and I come up with at least 100 million. Oh, my God. And let me tell you how that's I a, get there. That's a third of the population. You. That's correct. And it would happen overnight. It would overwhelm everything. It would crash the system. It would end the school system. We'd be in a world of trouble. We could turn America into Venezuela overnight. Remember, Venezuela was the most prosperous country in Latin America until the communists took control of Venezuela. They were a wrecking ball. Here's where I get the number from. Let's say there's between 25 and 30 million illegal aliens, which co coincides with what MIT and other universities now believe, okay? We're, we're in that ballpark. No one talks about this. They could immediately bring in each and every single one of their minor children overnight and their spouses if they are not That's already right. here. That's so right. Let's be optimistic and say... Well, many third-world countries, their families have, on average, six, seven, eight kids. So let's be optimistic and say they only bring in two or three children each. Do the math. Three children, 30 million illegal aliens, three times 30 million, 90 million plus spouses. Where are we? Wow, 100 million. What would they do it. to America? It'd destroy it us, and they America? know that. They know that it would happen. be the goal. That's, but the media is not talking about that, are they? 
Well, of course they're not, because they're bought and sold by the Democratic Party. And the Chamber of Commerce. And look, ABC and all these other companies uh, are owned by companies that have been part of the Discover American Network, which is why we have a visa waiver program. Ronald Reagan started that insanity. Folks, these aren't left-right issues. Understand how we got to where we are. Corporate America wants cheap labor, and in the short run, that's great for their profits. In the long run, they destroy America, and they're destroying their consumer base. That's something that no one pays attention to. People don't have money. They don't buy the crap that they're selling, okay, the garbage that they sell. So what are they doing? Short term, they're making a ton of money. In the long term, they're even hurting themselves, but they are so blind with greed, they're not paying attention to what happens down the road. The, for them, long-term planning is the next earning statement. Just like for politicians, long-term planning is the next election. Meanwhile, China, our adversary, they're looking decades and generations down the road. They have the long view, and we are suffering from what I would call fatal myopia, and we better get a pair of eyeglasses on and understand where this is leading us. Well, you know, you said that uh, if they got they got where you could get a green card that easily and make America the ER of the world, I say it would make us the yep. Caprini, the Caprini green of the world is what it would do. Well, we're in a very difficult situation, and Americans need to get involved. We need to have conversations with our neighbors. And let's not insult each other, and let's leave the personalities out of it. Most of your neighbors who think that the Democrats are right are being fooled, just the way the people were fooled by uh, Madoff. You know, lots of very wealthy people, successful people were conned by Madoff. Yeah, they were. decent Americans are being conned by these politicians. They think they're being compassionate. Why is it that compassion never seems to evolve American children? The reason we have homelessness is we've imported so many people who need housing, which drives up the price of housing, and then we've suppressed wages by the importation of millions of foreign workers. Put those two together, and what do you get? Homelessness on a massive scale. This is not what's good for America or Americans. If you want to end poverty in America, the focus should be on American kids. When Sputnik was launched, Eisenhower said, he didn't say we're going to go to India for programmers. He said we're going to teach American children math and science so we can maintain our position of leadership in the world. How many politicians from the Republican side have said, we need to bring the world's best and brightest to the United States? Folks, there's a name for the world's best and brightest. We call them Americans. And we need politicians who are concerned about the future of our children and our grandchildren, not politicians who want to bring in foreign talent. Yes, if you're extraordinary, certainly we should be attracting you. The Albert Einsteins, the Elon Musks, I agree completely. But if you're bringing in hundreds of thousands of high-tech workers, let's say from China, and we're educating them at our schools so they can build up the Chinese military with which they threaten us now. Yep. uh, Look, you have how many universities that have gotten billions of dollars from China, from Saudi Arabia, from Russia, from Iran? Why are they putting money into our campuses? They can control the curriculum. They control the faculty. They're getting research done in our laboratories. There's a nexus between Harvard, for example, and the labs in Hunan. The chairman of the chemistry and chemical biology department at Harvard was arrested by the FBI, allegedly for working with the Chinese and failing to report that he was given roughly a million dollars and was working a good part of the time in the Hunan labs. And he was one of many. 
All right, we got to take a break. Lieber. Yeah, hold okay. on there, because we, we, we had an arrest just last week of uh, somebody at the U of A that was taking money from the Chinese. And we've got a Confucius Institute at the University of Central Arkansas in Conway, which is not more than 25 miles right away from as a crow flies from my house. And we've been talking to our congressman about that. And he's going to talk further about uh, problems with the Chinese today when he joins me a little after 7 o'clock. My guest, of course, is Michael Cutler. He's going to be back in a moment. Uh, we got one more segment coming. we got to get a break in. It's nine minutes till 7 on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, so Michael has a new article out that you need to read. We're going to post a link to it uh, on my Facebook page. So, uh, you know, facebook.com slash Dave Ellswick Show. You can access it there. For Dems to succeed, Americans must fail. There's a large section of this that talks about Nancy Pelosi and her $3 trillion bill that she has, the HEROES Act. And I, I've got uh, three minutes here, uh, Michael. i give you three minutes you, you point out that PJ Media reported Democrats' $3 trillion bill would include a massive gift to communist China. Talk about that. Well, yes, by eliminating the Buy American Act, um, Buy American first, by the way, what we're talking about is we would then wind up buying again from China massive quantities of supplies and everything else which got us into this problem. You know, President Trump, we, we, this has been a wake-up call. He's now building up a stockpile of necessary ingredients for antibiotics. We are making no antibiotics in the United States. We're making them in China. And China has threatened to stop the supply of antibiotics coming to the United States. They make our our protective gear. They make the ventilators. Uh, And now, by the way, China has threatened Senator Tom Cotton and others who called for suing China. And they said, we need to find out if they have families or business connections in our country, and if they do, we will make them feel pain. Yeah. If you understand the problem that we're dealing with a totalitarian government, this isn't just a different viewpoint on economics, perhaps, you know. They downplay the Confucius Universities, the Thousand Talents Program. They use our universities as recruiting grounds for America's best and brightest, and we educate their students here. But understand that they coerce Chinese students who come to America to commit espionage by threatening their families, just the way they threaten Senator Cotton and others, saying if they're going to push the ability to sue us, we will make them on a personal level feel pain. When have you ever heard of a government saying we're going to make a member of the government of another country feel personal pain, go after their families, go after their businesses and turn the screws? This is the position the Chinese government has taken, because that's business as usual for that totalitarian dictatorship. Think of how vile North Korea is. China is right behind North Korea in the way they deal with their people. They're running concentration camps for Muslims in China, over a million people. And our our, uh, Facebook and YouTube and all the others are now engaged in censorship. If you say something they don't like, it's coming off the web. But Google wouldn't work with the military, but they had no problem working with China. Think about that. Uh, President uh, Trump went to Apple and said, you have to help us unlock a phone that was used by that terrorist who shot up the, the naval air base in Pensacola. Do you know that Apple refused? Yep, Now, we I know. know the guy already killed people. 
This isn't conjecture. And they went to him and said, you got to help us. There may be information about a future attack. We need to know what's in the phone. And Apple said, you're on your own. We're not going to do anything to help you. Fortunately, the FBI was able to break into the phone anyway. But understand that the companies are calling the shots and our government is playing second fiddle. Could you imagine this sort of nonsense happening during the Second World War? We're in the middle of a war on terror. They've killed how many people in this country and around the world? They want to do more damage. And you have companies thumbing their nose at our country and our citizens because they do what they want. And we are being painted into a corner by the universities, by the companies. Uh, we're in a dangerous Got to jump in. My, Michael, we're, we're out of time. I appreciate you, brother. Okay. I'll talk to you very soon. All right, more of the Dave Ellswick Show coming up in the 7 o'clock hour with Congressman French Hill and Lars Larson. With you on the Dave Ellswick Show. It is six minutes after seven in just a second. Our congressman from District 2 will join us. French Hill, don't forget, at 735. My good buddy, uh, for, uh, not former, talk show host out of KXL in Portland, Oregon, Lars Larson, will be with us. I was able to set him up uh, today. Strange goings on in Portland, but things are always strange in Portland. I mean, Magic mushrooms, I think, are in all foodstuffs in Portland, uh, out there in Oregon. I, I just really do. They they walk around like they're they're in another alternate reality for the most part. But we'll we'll talk about uh, what's going on out there today as well. But right now, joining us by phone uh, to keep our social distancing where it needs to be is uh, no, no you know. It's it's the congressman, Congressman French Hill, who comes on every week. I give this I give him all the credit in the world for doing this. And Congressman, thanks for another half hour today on the Dave Ellswick show. Dave, it's great to be with you, social distance or not. Uh, and it's always good to hear your voice. Yeah, I'm looking uh, at getting back into the studio, not next week, but probably the week after. So if you're around at that time and you want to come to the, uh, come face-to-face, you can. But we'll be across the table. We'll be six foot away. What can I say? But bottom line is, I was just watching Maria Bartoloma. And I was watching the CEO of Moderna on. Of course, Moderna is the one who announced that they think that they're on the fast track right now to have a vaccine by the end of the year. But somebody started asking questions yesterday. They said, well, you only reported on eight people. How come only eight people? You, you were using 45 people. Well, he got on there, uh, clarified why, uh, and said that's 
that's a blood test that they had at the time. They now have all 45. All 45 show that they're producing antibodies against COVID-19. And uh, last but not least, that they're prepared to go into phase two testing and that they have been okayed and are preparing for phase three. Now, that's moving, that's moving as uh, the president would say, at warp speed. And uh, they might, I, I think they might have a vaccine before the end of the year. Of course, producing it, I think, is going to be uh, the main challenge when you start talking about millions, about hundreds of millions of doses. That's, there's going to be a lot of companies, companies involved in that. But that's good news. That's, the stock market is almost up 300 points again today. It is good news, and it's exactly the approach to take, which is a moonshot-type approach, and that's why the president has tackled this, uh, just like uh, Jack Kennedy for going to the moon in the 60s. He said, let's put all, all, everything we have on the table, push everything to the center of the table and make a bet that we can get a vaccine globally and get these companies competing against each other to do that. It's very encouraging. Big picture, you know, what in, uh, really is interesting is look how fast the FDA is working, how responsive they've been. And I hope that this pandemic also lets us see a complete regulatory review of how the FDA does its work. Because, you know, this activity of taking 11 years and several billion dollars for each drug discovery, uh, maybe this is a way to streamline this process, do it safely, continue the phase one, phase two, phase three clinical trial process, but break down some of the bureaucracy. Yeah, and and that needs to be done. I mean, this is no different than when FDR started the Manhattan Project. Everything else that has gone in the history of America, when when uh, you know the, the game is on the line, you do everything you got to do, and you do it as quickly as you can to make sure you come out with a W at the end. And it sounds to me like, uh, Congressman, that W is uh, in view now. Uh, and that light at the end of the tunnel is not the approaching train, but it is the end of the tunnel. Uh, today I was watching uh, Maria, and she played a piece of, of video that just incends me. I mean, I'm watching this not more than 10 minutes before I go on the air, and I'm seeing red, and that's not good. I like to be, you know, more in a purple state of mind before I, I go on the air. And... I watched Senator Elizabeth Warren call the uh, government program to help uh, businesses, the PPP, call it a slush fund, a slush fund. And I'm thinking to myself, aren't you one of the senators who voted for this? It's not like the the, the uh, president set up uh, this. It was mandated by the Congress and the, and the Senate, both houses voted on it and said this is the way to go. And you're calling it a slush fund. Uh, bottom line, not a slush fund. They're trying to release this money as they go along and take time with the, uh, you know, your uh, Congressional Oversight Commission that you're part of, in fact. And the first report came out just yesterday that you are trying to make sure that the money is being spent correctly. I mean, that's how you guys found out that uh, uh, Planned Parenthood got like $80 million, is it not? 
Yeah, this is the work that's being done all over the Congress. And Elizabeth Warren is a broken record. I mean, she's living, I don't know what, on what planet, drinking her beer out of her equally expensive refrigerator with Nancy Pelosi's ice cream. I mean, she is so out of touch, and it was so insulting when uh, the Treasury Secretary and the Federal Reserve Chairman are sitting there in front of the Senate Banking Committee yesterday, desperately trying to explain how they're working hard to keep Americans working and cut this jobless claims issue and get people back to work, get states open, get the financial resources to our businesses of all sizes so that Americans can go back to work and stop. Uh, They'll still worry about the public health issue, but they won't be worried about how to pay their rent. And she's uh, just using pejoratives like, oh, it's a slush fund. You're just bailing people out. It's ridiculous. They haven't even spent any of the money, frankly. What they're doing is trying to get money to our states and local governments if they need short-term finance and get loans to businesses that employ people. Hello, businesses employ people uh, so that they can stay in business. (laughs) And the PPP program uh, has helped. Now it just crossed 40,000 small businesses in Arkansas. 40,000 small businesses in Arkansas have now gotten... $3.3 billion to keep people employed, keep their rent paid, pay their utilities, and that's going to help all those families here in Arkansas. So she's just, I don't don't even pay any attention to any pronouncement she makes, particularly if there's a TV camera involved. (laughs) Yeah, that's one of the most dangerous places to be is between Warren and the TV camera. You're liable to get trampled. You know that. All right. So the the Congressional Oversight Commission is made up of only five people. It's a very important commission. Their job is to look at the spreadsheet, so to uh, speak, and make sure that the money that's being spent is being spent correctly. And uh, the people who are members of that commission, Senator Pat Toomey of uh, Pennsylvania, uh, Congresswoman Donna Shalala of Florida, uh, Bharat Ramamurti, I think is how she pronounces that right. last name. And then this, there's this other congressman that I'm pretty familiar with. His name is Congressman French Hill of Arkansas. This is a really huge commission, Congressman. Explain to the listeners, and we've kind of talked about this in the abstract over the last few weeks. Now it's in in concrete. Explain what you're doing. Bottom line is we are to oversee the Federal Reserve System and the U.S. Treasury's effort to loan this money into America to make sure it's done uh, quickly, make sure it's done fairly, make sure Americans uh, benefit from it by the fact that businesses stay open and workers stay employed and that uh, there's no corruption associated with it. And uh, it's a bipartisan commission. uh, It'll be two Democrats, two Republicans, and a chairman. Uh, The chairman has not been named, but we've gone ahead and started our work. The four of us are working very cooperatively together. Uh, We know what the mission is, and uh, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin and, and Fed Chair Powell have been cooperative with us. And we're going to report to the public every 30 days about their work and how it's going. All right. And, and, and this is really important. I, I mean, I look at this and I see five people and I go, my God, that is a huge, huge job. You're looking at 
how many billions of dollars, if not well, trillions of dollars? Yeah, potentially uh, five trillion. Wow. Five trillion, because the $500 billion of taxpayer money, which supports the Treasury and the Fed's operation, the Federal Reserve can leverage that. That's how they operate. Let's say they want to make a loan to um, uh, the, uh, uh, a mid-sized company, somebody employs over 500 people. Well, the Treasury puts up $75 billion of taxpayer money to support that lending pool, and then the Federal Reserve loans $600 billion to get that uh, to a large fund. And so that's why it is complicated. It does require careful scrutiny. Uh, but we want to make sure this money gets out into the economy because we want to support these states reopening uh, safely and get people back to employment. That is what's going to happen over the next three months. And it's so important uh, that we try to get this right. Uh, we have to kill the disease, and we have to have every American cooperating on the CDC standards as we go back to work, no doubt. And I know that's frustrating to people, but this is a very communicable disease. Uh, but we cannot have our economy shut down. That's right. We cannot have our economy shut down. We have over 30 million people uh, filing jobless claims when in February we had the best economy in 50 years. So we want our economy back and we want our healthy uh, families uh, safe. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm watching the news and last night I had a little give and take with somebody on Facebook because they made a statement that it will set me on fire. And uh, luckily, I don't have hair anymore. If I did, the top of my head would have been burst into flames last night. But I'm just saying that it made this statement about, you know, these capitalists, they're just greedy. And they're, you know, they're pushing us to reopen the economy and and people are still dying and, and went on and on and on. And I. I just couldn't take it. I, I typically I don't engage on Facebook because it's a losing cause. But last night, I I, I put on my boots and and got into the charge of the light brigade, and uh, and I just said, look, capitalism has raised more people out of poverty, saved more people's lives than any other economic system in the in in the known world and history of the world. And I said, last but not least, this is not an either-or proposition. We have got to reopen the, the, the economy, and we've got to defeat this, uh, this virus. We can do both. And, uh, you know, they were saying... Well, what's the capitalist idea for for defeating the virus? And I said, uh, it's called businesses out there doing it. Did you not heard about Madura? You know, and I started going into all that. And then I, you know, they just kept asking dumb questions then. And, and so for that matter, I just I stopped. But let me I try transgress. Let me get back and talk to you about uh, this whole thing about all this money. Being a member of this five-member commission, do you guys have some kind of uh, of a computer program that has algor- uh, you know, algorith- algorithms or algorithms in it that give you red flags that might throw things up? I mean, I can't imagine that you're sitting there with your hat with half glasses hanging off the end of your nose, a visor on, and a green light shining down on a spreadsheet, and you're going line by line. You've got to be able to be helped by some of this stuff that would say, 
hmm, this might be weird. Take a closer look at this. Well, our inspector generals in the Treasury Department, we have set up a special inspector general who will do precisely that. It paid for by the taxpayers for the CARES Act oversight. We also have set out a committee of all the inspectors general and all the cabinet agencies in the government. We're calling it the Pandemic Inspector General Coordinating Board or something of that nature. And they're looking for precisely that. They're looking for anything that pops out of a computer screening program that looks uh, out of sync and make sure that uh, the agencies are getting the money out quickly but when you move fast, like you do in an economic crisis, what do you do? You make mistakes, obviously, and you can have people uh, scam, try to scam the system. And this is why I really urge even all of our listeners, be careful about the Internet and this pandemic because of tax rebate checks that people might have received, uh-huh. uh, people trying to intercept unemployment compensation through some scheme through the Internet. A pandemic brings out the best in Americans who put their flag out, volunteer at the food bank, volunteer to pack lunches for kids, uh, help our health care workers. But also pandemics bring out, you know, the scum of the earth that try to rip people off. So we're watching for that at the top, uh, meaning how these big government programs. But I think all of our families ought to be cautious about it, too. All right, we got time for one more about three minute segment. We'll do that, but first we got to get a break in here, and then we'll come back to Congressman French Hill, who has uh, graciously uh, agreed to appear with us today on the Dave Ellswick Show. Interesting things that we're talking about, to say the least. All right, we'll be back with the uh, the Congressman in a moment. Let me remind you about PI Roofing; they are ready to help you. Uh, the last thing you need to do is have the weight of replacing your roof on your shoulders now uh, during this time of social distancing and many uh, people worried about maybe they got elderly parents or they got elderly grandparents or you just got, you know, parents that are, are uh, you know, ill. I mean, my kids check in on me all the time because I've been having this health th- problem going on with the in, this infection in my foot. That, by the way, is now cleared up. I'm I'm been getting the all clear on that, so I'm finally well as about that. But I know the the, the the things that people are thinking about right now. And it's not your roof. So let PI roofing do that for you. You call them, say, I think I got a, I know I got a leak, and you come out here and look at my roof and they'll do it for you. Now you can call them, 707-3551, 707-3551, or contact them on the internet, piroofing.com. You don't have to talk to a person face to face. You can do it by the phone. You can do it by the Internet. They can come out. They can do the work. They're outside. You're inside, and everything is taken care of. They'll even work with your insurance company. Call PI Roofing for any problems you've got with your roof. That's who I call. I've used them in the past. Many of my friends use them. A lot of our listeners use them. Just let you know, I think they're the best in the area. That's PIRoofing.com. Traffic and weather, let's get to it. All right, final uh, segment with the uh, congressman. Congressman French Hill is with us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. we got about three minutes remaining. Question I've got for you, and I've been seeing a lot of discussion now on uh, Facebook, on uh, news articles, on uh, news talk shows, and that being on the uh, unemployment front. 
people who are getting uh, unemployment are getting uh, their full unemployment, which which basically is how much they were making every week or two weeks, and a $600 a week stipend to go on top of that. How do you move people off of that, Congressman, if they're making more money on unemployment than if they go back to work? Yeah, it's a challenge for a lot of our small businesses in a state like Arkansas. You know, this $600 a week pandemic bonus for unemployment was meant to be helpful because we shut down the economy. But they did it at a flat amount nationwide. New York gets the same amount of money as Arkansas, and it's disrupted our labor markets and made it really tough to get people to be encouraged to come back to work. I'd love it if we do another bill, which I don't know if we will or not, but if we have another COVID-19 type effort in the next uh, six weeks or so in Congress, I'd love to try to switch the language on the $600 a week and maybe structure it where it would be a back-to-work bonus, where they'd actually get to keep a few weeks of the $600 uh, as a back-to-work bonus instead of a stay-out-of-work payment, which is what it is now. Um, It's a lot of money in a state like Arkansas. And uh, it's really disrupted our labor market. I hear about it from employers, particularly in our rural areas of the state, all the time. Yeah, you know, and, and it just goes to show that, and and it's about, and we, we know this, all right? People that are unemployed right now, they're getting unemployment and all the rest. But that $600 specifically, that's taxpayers' money that's being used to help you. But don't take advantage of it, all right? Be a person of character. And as soon as the jobs become open again, go back and get hooked up and and do your job, please. It, it will come. And, you know, into supposedly the, uh, the law supposedly, and I say this to HR directors and business owners: if you are offered your job back, you're supposedly not eligible for this. If your job has been offered, okay, uh, back. So you know that's the way it's supposed to work. All right. Congressman, we're out of time. Thanks so much. Love being with you, Dave. Take care. All right. Good week. Talk to you later. All right. Congressman French Hill here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Rush is next, and then I'll be back with Lars Larson from the West Coast, the left coast. He'll join us, but he's a conservative in Portland, Oregon. Oh, I feel sorry for him. All right. Back with you. Uh, don't forget, according to Forbes, 96% of you, that's right, 96%, Claim your Social Security benefits at the wrong time, and that can end up costing you over the course of your retirement about $111,000. You go, Dave, impossible, not $111,000. Let me give you a quick example. Uh, I'm on Social Security now. When I turn 66, I'm fully invested, so I I got mine. And uh, my wife thought she didn't get any because she hasn't really worked. She's been a stay-at-home at, at the home mom. Now, I say that she hasn't worked. <laughs> I say that she worked. She raised uh, seven kids, okay? Bottom line is this. She didn't think she had Social Security coming. She happened to call. I said, you call them and just make sure. She called, and uh, lo and behold, she gets almost $1,000 a month. $1,000 a month. Add that up. That's uh, 12000 a year. Multiply that by 10 that's $120,000. Sounds like that if I had, she hadn't taken her Social Security at the right time, which she did, we'd been $120,000 uh, out, uh, out of some greenbacks. So, you know, so you can learn how you can avoid all of that 
with a free Social Security analysis from David Lucas Financial right here in North Little Rock. Uh, if you've saved more than 250000 and you've not filed for Social Security, you've got to be one of the first 10 callers right now. Schedule your free analysis at 501-222-3315. It's done over the phone or a video conference. You don't have to, you know, screw up the social distancing or anything like that to get the number again, 501 501- 222-3315. That's 501-222-3315. Investment advisory services are offered through David Lucas Financial and Arkansas Registered Investment Advisor. The government makes me read that, just so you know. What, it, what it's supposed to do for you, I don't know, but the government says i got to do it. So I do it. I want to let you know i got a friend on. We, we've had this man on before. I consider him a good friend. I seem I only see him when I'm out at like hold your feet to the fire or the Republican National Convention or CPAC or whatever. I should see him again, I think, in September. That's when the next hold their feet to the fire uh, is coming up in Washington, D.C. He is out in Portland, Oregon. He's a great conservative. I uh, feel sorry for him that he lives in Portland, Oregon, although I got to tell you, the beauty out there is breathtaking. But the people in Portland are nuts. Uh, Lars, how are you? Lars Larson joins us. And here's here's what's cool. He's on 101, too. I got to like that. 101. KXL in Portland. How you doing, brother? I'm doing well, very well, and uh, I'm proud to call you my friend. And uh, you're right, it is crazy out here, but here's the beauty of it for a conservative talk show host. You get the beauty of the outdoors. My dad was a forest ranger out here after he got out of the Navy. But you get the raw meat, because for you and me, uh, crazy liberal opinion is raw meat. I mean, we get oh, yeah. plenty of it from Cal. Hill, but I'm surrounded by it here. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You got some stories going on right now that you've got to be right in the middle of. Let's start off with one that I think is big. Your governor's being sued by churches, is she not? Yes, she is. There are churches that have said that she exceeded her authority uh, in the lockdown that she ordered, and it's a lockdown statewide. And you understand, in the state of Oregon, just like the state of Washington, and a number of states, you have a huge amount of space. Oregon's about 90,000 square miles, and only a few, you know, a few dozen square miles are actually occupied by big cities. The rest of it is empty. In fact, uh, human beings occupy maybe 4% of the landmass. The rest of it is wild. So you have a lot of rural communities who are wondering, why is it that the rules for shutdown, lockdown, are applying in our community, uh, way out of town, uh, to our church, when, uh, when the same rules that apply in a downtown metro area. And they've also looked at the law. And Oregon has three laws. Uh, one of them passed about eight years ago uh, that was a constitutional amendment uh, that, that specifically spoke to pandemics, tsunamis, floods, fires, all the other emergencies the state might face. There was also a public health emergencies law passed less than 20 years ago. The governor didn't use either one of those, even though, and, and in part, I would imagine, because they came with a 28-day time limit. They said a governor could launch an emergency, declare a catastrophe, and have all kinds of powers for 28 days, but then he or she, she in this case, had to call a session of the legislature, a special session, to address the emergency. Her emergency power didn't go on forever. So instead, she reached all the way back to 1949, 10 years before I was born, and, and said, I'm going to use this law, which only spoke to floods and fires, 
uh, way back then. Didn't speak to public health emergencies, even though there is, as I said, a public health emergency law on the books from less than 20 years ago, and said, I'm going to use this one. That one doesn't have a time limit on it. So in theory, and I had the lawyer, I've known this guy for a long time, Kevin Mannix. He's been head of the Republican Party. He's run for governor. He's a very so- solid guy, and he's a solid lawyer. Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't work uh, for criminal defendants in defending them. He actually goes out and advocates for, for people and for good causes. He took their case to court. Uh, two days ago, a judge said, you're right. The governor's authority evaporated on April the 6th. It's been right. gone. Then. Um, and then the governor immediately reached out to her hand-picked Supreme Court. She's picked four of the seven members, which kind of tells you how things are going to go. And the court immediately imposed a stay of the order, which is fine, and said on Friday, I will hear, or the court will hear arguments from both sides on whether or not the governor has either one authority that evaporated six weeks ago or authority that goes on till the end of time. And it's one or the other. Wow. She announced, in fact, more than a month ago that she has extended the state of emergency past July the 6th. Oh, my God. About about a month ago, and that she ant- I think she anticipates that her emergency authorities are going to go on for a long, long time. So it's not just me suggesting she's suggesting a long time. She's already reaching out into the future, all the way to the middle of almost the middle of July. Yeah, here's the key, which is very interesting uh, about this, Lars, is we have argued for years, you, me, other conservative talk show hosts, that, uh, you know, the, the left will, if they are given power, will misuse it. And we're yep. seeing that happen big time now here in the United States. The same thing that is playing out with you is playing out in Wisconsin. The exact same thing. Twenty-eight days. You got to go back to the legislature to get them to be get on board with this as as well. And Constitution. Who cares about any stinking Constitution? You know what I'm saying? It, it it's really scared. Look at scary. Look what's going on in Michigan. That woman. She uh, nothing between her and the, the guy uh, Chavez up in, in Venezuela when he was alive. Same stuff. No, they, they misuse it because. Most conservatives like you and me see uh, a laissez-faire approach to most things. That is, have the minimum amount of regulation necessary to get the job done. And That's right. And I've even said to people, people say, I have an absolute First Amendment right to, to, uh, to go out and worship. And I said, well, yes, you do, but it's not absolute. And they, they, uh, they get upset at that. And I say, yes, well, it on. is. <laughs> the next time you walk into your church... Look on the wall and see if the fire marshal has not posted a sign that says occupancy of this room by more than, say, 400 people is illegal. Uh-huh. And he has probably in every town in your state as well. Now, is that an infringement? They're saying you can have 400 worshipers, but you cannot have 405 worshipers in that church, depending on the size of the church. And, and they said, well, that makes sense. I said, yes, because it's about public safety. So I understand the constitutional limits are subject to time, place, and manner applications. The classic one being you can't walk into a theater in Little Rock and shout, Allahu Akbar, I've got a bomb, because it would cause a stampede, people would be hurt, and, and you can't do that. So that's a limitation on your First Amendment speech rights. Um, I don't disagree that there can be limitations, but in this case, governors laid down a limitation for the entire state. 
even in counties where they don't even have any cases of coronavirus or China virus, as I call it. Uh, and so does it make sense to apply the same rule across the state? And most of the time when the courts have to hear a constitutional case, they say the government may impose some time, place and manner limits, but they must be carefully tailored so that they have the minimum possible disruption to somebody's constitutional rights. So you can't just lay down blanket edicts. Yeah, I, 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 I'm watching this and I hate to say that we've been right. But we've been right. We've said this all along, that if you give these people an inch, they'll try to take a mile. And now we're finding out they'll try to take 10 miles. They will. And and they will. It won't be one of those situations which would be reasonable to say for a short period of time, we need to do X. And then we will let off the restriction as soon as we possibly can. Once they feel they've got that power, they don't want to give it up. And, and I think that's very dangerous. It's dangerous to personal liberties. And personal liberties are everything about America. I always use the example, Dave. Our Constitution says we could literally catch a man who we know has committed a murder, and he could be guilty of sin. But if we violate enough of his constitutional rights, the Constitution and our laws say you have to let that murderer go. That's how seriously we take individual rights. Now, mm -hmm. is that good for the community to let a killer go? No. But what we've decided is individual liberties are so important that if somebody violates one citizen's individual liberties and he's a mass murderer and it's incredibly bad for the entire community to let him go, but it only benefits him if we violate his rights, we must let him go. That's how seriously we take individual liberties. Then look around the world and ask yourself about what are the individual liberties like in downtown Wuhan, China or yeah. down in Moscow or in downtown, you know, uh, Caracas, Venezuela. Uh, they're not so much, but America takes them very seriously. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to point out something that I thought was interesting. Your governor going back to find a law from 1949 uh, to use to, to buttress what she's saying, and, it's not a, and it doesn't even say anything about a public health emergency. I want people to realize that is only about 22 years after the Spanish flu came through America and killed tens of thousands of people, a lot more than have died now. And uh, they didn't have a law in the books back then to say a governor can close down their state. No, they didn't. And, and Dave, wouldn't it make more sense? This has been a Democrat state for a long time. Thirty, almost, We're coming up on 40 years of Democrat governors. And we have a legislature where both houses are held by majorities that are Democrat. One is a supermajority, literally, so they can override a lot of things. The other one is one vote short of a supermajority. Wouldn't you think that the people, the people of the state would look and say, you actually passed a constitutional amendment. It was initiated by the legislature. Uh, about eight years ago, it specifically mentions pandemics and the powers that the governor should have during a pandemic. And then, as a constitutional amendment, the legislature passed it, submitted it to the public, and the public voted it through and made it part of the Constitution to say, in public health emergencies and a lot of other kinds of emergencies, this spoke right to the situation we're in. Did the governor use that one or look to it? So. She may say, well, I have still have this law in the books from 49. Yes, but the spirit of the law 
And what's in the spirit of the Constitution says, we've looked at this question recently, what kind of powers should a governor have during a pandemic? And we've said, you should have powers that are absolute for 28 days, and then you must call the people's representatives into session and let the people's representatives look at what you're doing. She has not done that. And, I, and the reason I think that the Democrats in the legislature, who, as I said, have been solidly in control for years, um, did not say, hey, you should be calling us in, Governor, is they don't want to be called in. I don't think they want to be part of this decision because they know how the public's going to react to it. The governor, on the other hand, is termed out. She's in the second of two terms. Ah. She cannot run for another term, so she's a lame, a lame duck, a dangerous lame duck. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Lars Larson's my guest. He's with KXL talk show uh, host out in Portland, Oregon. He's on 101 as well. I, I just think that there's something really kind of uh, Chinese about that, you know, some kind of feng shui kind of thing going on here. But anyway, we're going to come back and we got one more segment. I want to talk about these ballots going to Republicans that are literally not allowing Republicans to vote in a Republican primary, from what I understand. We'll talk about it when we return here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Traffic and weather, let's get to it right here at 1011 FM, The Answer. All right, eight minutes until eight. Uh, Joe and Duck will be with us at eight o'clock. We'll talk about, you know, cars, what's new in the world of cars. And you get to call in and, you know, do the old click and clack thing with them. Ask them a question. They'll give you an answer. We do that on Wednesdays here on the Dave Ellswick Show because your car is still, you know, that's your modern day horse that you use to get to uh, to work and back home again. Although right now a lot of you are like me. You're just sitting at home doing your show. Uh, just as you heard, Lars is sitting at home doing his show. I mean, we're old we're old fogies, although I'm old. I'm an older fogie than he is. And I just told him during the break, it, growing old ain't for sissies. I'm just telling you, it's just not. Yeah. All right. With that in, in, in mind, Lars, let me ask you about what's going on as far as uh, uh, this Republican ballot thing, this this initiative thing that's going on out there, it's crazy. That's crazy. It is. It is. And, Dave, let me tell you, I love technology, which allows me to do the same. Actually, the engineers say my home studio sounds better than the one that they have downtown that costs a lot more money. But um, <laughs> about vote by mail, you, you know that Oregon is the oldest vote by mail state in America. And I've been telling people as long as it's been around do not fall for vote by mail. Now, the Democrats are pushing it at the national level. They'd like to see the whole country vote by yes. mail. They'll use China. By- There's another example where you give them a little bit and they say, hey, we're going to take the whole load. Don't fall for it. It is a bad idea. And let me tell you specific reasons why. They promised that it would increase voter turnout. It has not. And they always say, look, the voter turnout's good. And I say, no, go back and take a look at what it was before when people actually went to the polls. They looked you up in the poll book. And I, you know, I wish they had taken voter ID at the time, but they didn't. But still in all, we now have everybody, everybody who walks in to get a, 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 either a driver's license or a state ID card at the DMV is registered to vote. They register you to vote. Now, you can go down and quit later and say, I want to re- you know, withdraw my registration if you want to. But they register you as non-affiliated unless you state a preference. Then you have to figure it out. The problem is 
that recently we've noticed people are getting, they see it's a primary election. I'm a Republican. I got a Democrat ballot. Why did that happen? Well, you call mm-hmm. the state and the state says, oh, gee, we made a mistake. We, and imagine this, in a Democrat-controlled state where every significant office in the state is held by Democrats at the city, county, and state level, governor wow. and Democrats for more than a third of a century, and they've accidentally registered Republicans as Democrats. Now, if your next question is, have they accidentally registered Democrats as Republicans, we can't find a single instance of that. But <laughs> the last few weeks, a state lawmaker that is a good man, uh, Mike Neerman, uh, said to me, look, look, we want to find all the examples of this. I said, I'll ask about it on the air because people send me emails spontaneously complaining about it. I asked two days ago, I have received dozens and dozens and dozens, and this is just the people who heard me talk about it and then said, hey, I should write, and they send me an email, and they their whole families that have had their voter registration changed. And in some cases, they're changed to non-affiliated, which means an NAV voter can't vote in the Republican. Well, they can vote on the election, on the ballot measures, but they can't vote on the primary candidates because we have a closed primary. Republicans choose the Republican nominees. That's the way it ought to be. So, sure. And we have people who are being denied their right to vote. Yesterday was Election Day, so it's all over at this point. And yet there were people who were sent the ballot that didn't include any. They couldn't vote for Donald Trump. In the primary, which, by the way, he won 100 percent because <laughs> ballot. But but still in all, you like to see the results because, uh, the, uh, you know, I'd like to see how how things go. Bernie Sanders actually got quite a few votes here yesterday, uh, but Joe Biden took the majority. Uh, but Don, I think Biden was at 300,000 last night when I went to bed and and Trump had 214,000 in an uncontested primary for the sitting president of the United States. But vote by mail is a disaster. It is fraught with opportunities for fraud. And I've talked about election. They say, well, we don't find any. I said, you don't look. I said, further, <laughs> if I, my middle initial is K, Christopher, if I were to register as Christopher Larson at my home address and put my signature, I'd be committing a crime by doing it. But if I sent that voter registration in, they'd send me a ballot. And if I voted it, how would you ever find out I did it? It would, it would be my signature. Because uh-huh. But it would be a fraud. Now, if you decide to commit a fraud, remember, Florida in 2000 was decided by 500 votes. There have been governor's races decided by 200 votes. And if you say, well, there might be a little bit of fraud, but not much, tell you what, a couple of hundred votes enough to change a presidential election or a governor election. Is that enough for you? That's pretty amazing. That's why... I love you, brother. You're a great guy. You're a good American, and you're a staunch conservative. You keep up the good work. Hopefully we'll see each other in September in D.C., and uh, lunch is on me. How's that sound? Pleasure to be with you, Dave, and I always love seeing you. You take care now. All right. We'll talk to you later. Lars Larson from KXL in Oregon, Portland, Oregon, to be exact, which is almost like ground zero of the left. Uh, with Atifa and all the rest of them here on the Dave Ellswick Show and gave you a little bit on what's going on there as far as the governor being sued by the churches and, more importantly, vote by mail. I'm glad that he was able to talk about that subject. We'll have him on again in, uh, in the future. He is really a great, great guy, Lars Larson. All right, we've got uh, news coming up top of the hour. Then Joe and Duck will join us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Two hours in the bag and the, the archives, and it's been a great hour here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Stick around. we got more greatness coming your way.
final hour of a Wednesday show. It is hump day, middle of the week day, over the hill day, closer to Friday than it was on Monday, and closer to a three-day holiday because Memorial Day is Monday, and most of you who are listening to me right now uh, will be off if you're working because I know a lot of you are sitting at home doing, uh, you know, not doing anything. Some of you are sitting at home like I am and working and uh, doing your, your your work from home, I just think work and the way we do it is going to be totally different here after uh, this COVID-19. Uh, I heard that Google has told its staff that uh, they will never have more than 25% of their staff at any given time in their building. And uh, I thought that was uh, really uh, wild. And it also brings to, to bear the whole thing about People who are in the real estate and have built, you know, office buildings and things of that nature may start finding it difficult to fill up some of that space because companies may not need as much space as they have needed in the past. But that's for another time to talk about here on the uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. It's seven minutes after eight. Joe is here from over at Joe's Garage. Duck is here from Duck's Garage uh, every Wednesday at the eight o'clock hour. Uh, God bless you, whoever sneezed there. Uh, we're, uh, we get together and uh, we take up car and truck questions uh, from uh, what you send in on uh, email, or uh, we'll take up your questions if you want to call in. 823-0965 is our local number. 823-0965. That's the number to call uh, if you have a question for Joe or Duck, and they'll try to help you out. First of all, let's check in and make sure everybody's doing good. Joe, how are you been doing? I've been doing good, Dave. We've all been right. staying busy, uh, and uh, the weather is uh, finally quit raining. I think uh, things are going to really pick up here shortly. No, that's good. That's that's fantastic. Well, businesses are slowly beginning to reopen. Uh, people are slowly being brought back to work. Uh, that once we when we hit phase two, that's going to start moving a lot quicker. Uh, I talked to uh, Congressman Hill in the seven o'clock hour. There's some questions about will this be a V-shaped recovery? I don't know if it'll be a straight V shape. In other words. You watch the, the graph, and you go right straight to, boom, down to the bottom. We went to 18,000 on, on uh, the, uh, uh, the Dow, and now we're starting to go back up again. But will we go back up in the same shape of a V as we went down? I don't think it would be that sharp, but I do believe it's going to be fairly quick. I don't think it's going to take a long, long time to really get the uh, 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 economy purring along. I mean, we're already... Uh, over uh, or getting very close to being 24,000 on the uh, the stock market. And uh, just two months ago, we hit the bottom at a little over 18,000. So just by giving you those numbers, it tells you that the uh, the economy is, is perking up now. And that's a, that's just a fantastic thing. There's some there's some uh, hurdles in front of us, but I I think we're going to make it. I think we're going to make them. Duck, let me ask you, how are you doing, brother? I know that your knee has been still bothering you. Uh, I'll tell you, my I basically have been told that my foot is uh, 100% now. Knee ain't. Your knee ain't, huh? Okay. No, they, I'm wearing a they, knee brace again for eight weeks, and they're going to 
do another uh, MRI on it after eight weeks and decide what they're going to do with it. Wow. He's got how another m- doctor looking at it now. So, How many surgeries have you been through on your knee? This is uh, two. Wow. So probably so, the third one. The It's the MCL is what's giving me fits now. Right. It's uh, badly inflamed, swelled up about three times the size it ought to be, they say. And Ouch. So, you know. That's why they put me in a knee brace, because they don't want it to bend no more than me walking. So, But it's all right. I can still get up and get around, so that's the main thing. All right. You got, Business did has you, been good. They got all they can do. Did you buy some uh, stock in, uh, you know, uh, painkillers? No, but I need to. <laughs> no, I don't saying. take them. You I take aspirin, don't you? I take, I take Tylenol. All I, yeah, all that's I what I'm saying. Do. Yeah, you're like me. You're tough. You just, you just, you just tough. You know. When when knee more needs more, you get up and go on. Well, I'm just going to tell you what I told Lars Larson uh, in the last half hour. He he's 61 now. He's talking about some health problems that he's been battling. And bottom line, getting old ain't for sissies. It's just the way it is. Nope. Just the way it is. You keep that in mind, Joe. <laughs> oh, I know. Who's with the rest of us? I know. He's going to be stuck with the rest of us pretty soon. All right. Let's, uh, I got questions for you guys. We can get right to them. Or if you got something that has happened uh, over the last week that you want to bring to the attention of the listeners, I'm ready to hear it. Uh, do you got something for us, or do you want, you want to hear, start with me? Go ahead. All right. We'll start with me. Theo. He's got a 1985, ooh, he's got an old car, a 1985 Nissan. It's a 300ZX. It's a six-cylinder, three-liter engine. It says, hi, my Z started ticking about three weeks ago. I'm wondering if I should rebuild the motor or get it replaced. It needs an exhaust manifold gasket. Hard to get to the studs because the headers cross right over and or touch them. It needs a timing belt, 99.9%. Sure, previous owner didn't change it. And I need to find a vacuum leak that has been eluding me for months. Goal is to go turbo it, but I want a fresh, healthy motor. Well, I, it sounds to me like he answered his own question. He wants a fresh, healthy motor. You, you're going to get that by putting another motor in into the car. Uh, I guess he's got this 85. That's the original motor. What What do you guys see? Are saying get uh, take care of your motor or get it rebuilt. Get it rebuilt. He don't say how many miles on it, does he, Dave? Uh, he does not say at all. Eighty-five model, just a normal drive, and it's still going to have over a hundred thousand miles on it. I would probably just put a reman in it if I'm if I'm wanting to put a turbo on it. Because you don't want to put a turbo on a weak motor because it won't hold up very long. I'd go and put a reman motor and a turbo at the same time. All right. All right. I we'll say you. That. Okay. Might as, well, might as well do the full job instead of trying to to save an 85 motor, which, my gosh, it's got plenty of years and miles on it, to say the least. And when he starts pulling the exhaust manifold off to put the turbo manifold on it, he's going to break all the exhaust studs anyway. All right. And, and you know, an 85 Nissan motor, you know, $1,500, $1,700. What do you think? No, no, that'd be more than that. That'd be about a three grand one. Oh, really? Okay. For a long block. Yep. All right. That's so keep that in motor. mind. That ain't, 
It ain't got anything to do with his turbo he wants to add to it. All that's going to be extra. Yeah, that's another three grand. Really? $3,000 for a turbo? Yeah, a turbo kit to install it with. Okay. Wow. What all's in a turbo kit? I mean, what what do you got to do? You got to change the manifold. You got to have a different manifold. You got to have a different oil feed system. You got to change all the exhausts on the car to get it all hooked back up to the turbo. So it's a little more than just sticking a turbo on it. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's and that's complex. Put intercooler on there. Yep. Got to put the intercooler up in the front of the radiator and run all them hoses. Wow, that's a lot of work there. You're talking hours. Yep. Yes. That's going to add. All right. Okay. Just uh, he must like his Nissan. That's all I got to say. That he's going to drop. You know, he's going to. He's even little, looking at a rebuild. Those are good little car, Dave, and they have a good resale value on them. Oh, okay. All right. Sounds good. All right. And then he needs to do the math. Are you going to drive it long enough again to uh, you know state the the cost of fixing uh, the car up the way that you want it to be? All right, quarter after eight here on the Dave Ellswick Show. First segment is done. Let's get a break. After the break, we'll come back. Joe and Duck is here. You've got a question, 823-0965. That's the number you call, 823-0965. Heidi will tell me you're on the line here in Cabot. I'll uh, get a hold of Joe and Duck and tell them you're there ready to ask him a question, and then we'll continue. It's the, it's the wonders of modern technology, and it's all happening on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. Let's get your traffic and weather. i got to tell you, that uh, show by Kerry McCory is very, very good. Uh, I've listened in several times. I hear some of the people she's going to have on, and it's very interesting to hear uh, some of the answers that uh, she gets out of these folks when she can sit them down in the studio and, uh, and and bring some questions to them. And uh, you learn a lot of stuff about a lot of different businesses in the area. Very interesting. Uh, be, I'll be interested to hear what the outfitter has to say as well. But right now we're talking about cars. you got a question, 823-0965. can be about your car, your wife's car, somebody else in the family's car. It can be about a car you're thinking about buying. Uh, you know, do you think it's as good as another car? All of that. Here on the Dave Ellswick Show, Joe and Duck are here. Over 100 years of experience between these two guys. So I can tell you, if they don't know the answer, uh, it's because of something really, really rare happening. And just to give you an example of that, during the break, Duck, you were talking to Joe about working on some some, uh, semis, some 18-wheelers, and you ran into a weird problem with two truck engines, one from here in Benton and one from Tennessee, and you hadn't seen this problem in a while. Go ahead. Well, like I was telling Joe, I run into two trucks that the injectors are stuck on. All eight injectors, this is in a pickup, in a one-ton Chevrolet pickup, and all eight of them are stuck and never stumbled up on this problem before, but... I ain't got to the bottom of the store yet, so I'm waiting the customers to call so we can figure out if they put some kind of additive in it. Or there's no way they bought fuel from the same place because one of them's from Tennessee and one of them's from Benton. So, you know, I don't know. But I'll get it figured out here. I'll let you know when I find out. What's interesting about this is that you say 
neither one, and you had to test it, neither one was flowing fuel. Now, that means the injectors were totally clogged, correct? No, they're, they're stuck. It's got a valve down in the bottom of them that raises and shuts, and the valve stuck in the bottom will let no fuel come through it, go into the cylinder to make it start and run. Huh. So it could be an additive. What else could it be that would cause that? Any other thoughts on you? Well, I thought it was water. It galled them. But we pulled a sample, and there's no water in the fuel. Because yeah, water mm. will cause them to gall and stick in the bottom. We won't let them open up no more. Or it'll cause them to stick wide open, because fuel is what lubricates it, and water don't lubricate. But that ain't the case on these. They're just stuck. All right, so you got stuck fuel injectors. Joe made, made this statement uh, to you. Well, you're going to have to clean that, that fuel, all those fuel lines, and you're going to have to clean the uh, the fuel tank. What do you got to do, I mean, in that case? Do you take it out? Are you able to steam out that fuel tank or whatever? Yeah, you just take it out and uh, dump all the fuel, put a high-pressure washer in it, and let it run for two or three hours, and then start flushing all your lines, blowing all your lines, cleaning all your lines, and and hope that you get it all out, whatever it is that caused it. We ain't figured it out yet, but... Uh, I'm sure we'll figure it out sometime this week. Wow. So next week you can give us an update on this. That's yeah. pretty that's really interesting cuz for our listeners that that's a real quandary for you because you want to know what's causing the problem so that you can make sure to keep an eye on it and if it happens again you go, you got a place to start off at. Yeah, right now we have no place to start. I want to jump in here just a minute. It's important, Dave, to find out what caused it because it could be the difference in the owner having to pay the bill or his insurance company. If somebody yes. put something in the tank and sabotaged it or mm-hmm. he put a product in it that he bought from somebody and it has gone bad and caused it, the people that manufactured the product or the people that sold it to him, they'll be liable for the repair. Right, Doug? Exactly. And that's what we're trying to figure out is who's liable for it. Yeah, because the guy who owns, well, what are we talking about fixing this? How much money? Uh, Probably $7,000. Okay, that's worth fighting over. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. You know, if it, was, if it was $70, you might say, I don't need the hassle. But seven grand, and, that's, and you don't want it to happen again, uh, that means it's worth fighting about. Well, you got eight injectors, Dave, and they're right at $500 a piece. Oh, okay. And then we're talking labor and everything that goes with that. It's a lot of money. So yeah, the time uh, you pull the tank, flush everything, you're looking at probably 12 hours labor. Okay. So for all of you uh, 18-wheeler drivers out there, you'll want to be listening next Wednesday for sure uh, to hear what Duck has uh, found out because you don't want this to happen to you. If it happens to be an additive that's causing the problem, uh, you probably would want to think twice before you put that additive in your particular truck. All right, got a, another got another question for you guys. Are you ready, or do you got something else you want to say about the trucks? Well, I got a quick. I got something to say. I, we pulled a fuel sample and took it to Riggs, and they're going to run an analyzation on it, and they'll let me know probably next Wednesday, next Tuesday or Wednesday, what they found in it. Okay. All it right. cost about one hundred fifty dollars to get that run and found, but. I think the hundred fifty dollars is well worth to know what happened to them. Well, I'm with you on that. Absolutely with you on that. Anything else you want to stick in there, uh, Joe? 
No, I think that uh, everything's being done on ducks in the can be. And, uh, you know, I just wanted the listeners to understand that sometimes if you buy fuel somewhere or if you buy additives and stuff, and, you know, there's only a few additives out there that me and Duck will ever say that that's a good additive because you sometimes you don't know exactly what you're putting in your vehicle. So if you're not sure, don't put it in there. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. And that even goes for gas burners too, don't it, Joe? You betcha. Goes for everything. Yeah, it used to be fuel additives. Do I? I used to put, sure. I used to put STP in my car in my oil. I would never put STP fuel additive in my car any anymore. Do they even make that anymore? Yeah, they still make it, Dave. All right. I mean, that's like put. It's like put. You know, it's like pouring honey back down into your into your car. I mean, that's it. You know, for an old engine, that might not have been a bad thing back in the day, but the way they do oils now, not a good thing to gum up the works with, I think, STP additive. How, what do you guys think about that? You put STP in a car today that's a 016 or a, a 020 motor oil, you're going to damage the engine because it will increase the weight of that oil. And the way these engines lubricate with high pressure, thin oil, You'll damage the motor. That's not recommended, in my opinion. Yeah. No. Yeah, I can say just with what you just said, I would not do that. I agree. All right, Craig has a 2002 Chevy Camaro, a Z28, eight-cylinder, 5.7-liter motor in it. He likes running, evidently. He likes speed. Uh, He says, I changed the filter and pan gasket on the automatic transmission. I filled the trans with fluid. The transmission now will not shift into any gear. The shifter moves freely, and it appears that the arm it connects to is also moving freely. But nothing happens, just stuck in park. It worked before the work. What did I might do, and what should I do now? <laughs> I can just about tell you. Okay. When he took the filter off, when he took the filter off there's an O-ring that connects it to the bow body. He put the new one back on, and it got no O-ring on it. That means yep. it's not sucking from the fluid from the bottom of the pan up, so it doesn't have any line pressure. Yep. How many times that happened? This problem? Oh, well, I've seen it a hundred times. How about you? Oh yeah, every every bit of a hundred times. And I've even seen them riding down the road, and the filter fall off. Oh my know? God, no! <laughs> because they don't put the O-ring up there. That's what holds it all in place. It's a little metal O-ring that you push up in there, and it holds it all in place. Wow. All right. That's why I come to you guys. That's why I come to you guys. When he says it falls off, it falls off inside the the pan. It don't fall off on the ground, okay? No, it's inside the pan. Just drop it down. But the fluid level is too high for for it to suck the fluid up because it's got to have hydraulic pressure to work, so... He's, you know, he's he just he's created this problem. He's take the pan back off and and inspect and and repair his mistake. He hasn't hurt anything because no. it won't go nowhere. <laughs> he just needs yeah. he just needs to get the filter properly installed and then refill it with fluid and he'll be all right. Yeah, if you're yep. not running it down the road, you're not doing any damage to it. That's for sure. It's just sitting there and looking at you and sticking out its tongue. That's it. Basically, what it's doing. All right, we got a minute here before we get to uh, Sean Hannity. Uh, I'll, I've got another question coming up from Josh. I'll tell you what kind of car it is. It's a 2001 Chrysler PT Cruiser, 
four-cylinder, 2.4 liter. So we'll talk about the PT Cruiser when we get back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We've got uh, Sean Hannity coming up. We've got traffic. We've got weather. It's all coming your way. Let me just tell you, today you've got a beautiful day ahead of you. You're going to love this, guys. It's going to be mostly sunny outside. It's going to be 79 to, to, uh, uh, degrees outside, and uh, it's going to be perfect weather today. I think it's going to be perfect. It could be a little warmer. I'd like that. But 79, I won't fight over it. Currently, right now, it's 61 in Little Rock, 59 in Cabot, 59 in Conway, and 57 out in Hot Springs. Here's Sean. Back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. we got 24 minutes left. When I left you guys, I told you I had a 2001 Chrysler PT Cruiser, four-cylinder, 2.4-liter engine in it that I had a question about. Uh, is there any way to test the neutral safety switch? Uh, we're trying to figure out a way to test or bypass the neutral safety switch without opening the transmission. The piece itself is only 17 bucks and would be much better than replacing the PCM. However, it's difficult to replace this piece. So we're trying to figure out if we can test continuity before shooting in the dark and replacing not good to shoot in the dark, number one, but number two, we'll get all your answers for you first. So I'll turn this one. We'll start with you, Joe. What do you think? Well, yeah, you can test that with a scanner. You can pull that data up for that transmission, and you can actuate the shifter, move it back and forth, and you can see if the switch responds and see whether it's reading, park, reverse, neutral, drive, low. And if it's blank there, then you need to go down there to the switch itself and do a pinpoint test on it, and you can you can test it that way. Now, I, I don't know if he's got the right tools to do this, or but it would require a uh, wiring diagram and a scan tool to perform either one of them tests. Yeah, I, I, I get concerned when I read sentences like this. So we're trying to figure out if we can test continuity before shooting in the dark and replacing mm. Yeah, you don't want to shoot in the dark when you're trying to replace a part or you're trying to fix your car. Am, am, am I reacting correctly here? Yes. Correct. I mean, you know, we, we have that saying that, you know, it, at the bumper-to-bumper certified service centers, it is uh, kind of works like this. We test, not guess. Right. We work on cars and trucks. We fix cars and trucks. Yeah, and you do that by not guessing. You do that by knowing. Yep. Yeah, you know what you're going in to take care of. All right, Eric has got a 2005 Nissan Xterra off-road six-cylinder with a uh, 4.0 liter engine. said, I recently had number one coil go bad, and it threw a code. So I replaced it along with all the plugs. It ran fine for a couple of days, then all at once got worse than prior to the coil replacement. Went back in to take a look, and 135 are all black-coated in their intake ports, and none of the three are firing. What's the problem? Well, you got three coils bad. I guess that's <laughs> the best way to look at that. I'll turn it over to you. Why don't you start off on this one, Duck? Well, did he say if, if the same... What coil went bad the first time, Dave? No. Uh, yeah. He says, I recently had number one coil go bad, and it threw a code, so I replaced it along with all the plugs. 
Now, it ran fine for a couple of days, and all at once it got worse than before. I went back in to take a look, and the number one, the number three, and the number five are all black-coated in their intake ports, and none of those, uh, none of the three are firing. What could be the problem? He's going to have it probably injector driver module gone bad. Without scanning it and looking at it, Dave, it's going to be very hard to tell him over the phone. Okay. Okay. You know, I mean, this is the bottom line of car repair today. You've got computers that at least take you probably close to where the problem is starting at. You know from, from uh, uh, you know, your experience, Doc, that you probably want to look at this control. You can go in and look at it. You know probably where to start on this. I mean, it's the same with you, Joe, is it not? No, absolutely. You know, on, on a deal like that, Dave, you know, a lot of times you have man-made problems. So he's working on it himself. And, and and you know what this reminds me of, Duck, is it's got a vacuum leak, probably had the plenum raised up and the gasket's not lined up properly, and he's got a vacuum leak on one side of the motor. Exactly. I probably, I have a feeling that it's it, he created this issue. Yep. Probably didn't get it under good. Then a couple of days driving, sucked it on through. Yeah. And it's got a yeah. wide open leak. Yeah, and they're sucking in unmetered air. And then them right there, they're going to run rich and foul the plug out. And, you know, there's there's just, uh, you know, like I guess Ken Sullivan says it best. Yeah. If you don't know what you're doing when you're doing it yourself, you're destroying it yourself. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, DIY, destroy it yourself. That's exactly what yeah. he says. And it's, uh, that's yeah. very, very true. All right, we'll move on. 2011 Kia Optima EX, four-cylinder, 2.4-liter, uh, overheating radiator fan not kicking in. As I was driving this morning, I realized my AC was blowing hot air, which was pretty uncomfortable. So I looked down at my AC controls, thought, hmm, it's on full blast. Then I looked at my dash. What do you know? The water temperature is maxed out. Needle is just about to hit the red zone. So I immediately pull into the parking lot that I come across, pop my hood, get out, and inspect. Upon inspection, I found no leaks. Coolant is where it should be. All hoses are connected. That's when I started to get worried. So I keep looking and listening. Pretty soon, I notice that there's a faint clicking noise. No, not metal cooling down and popping, but an actual rapid, constant tick, 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 tick. So I look closer, and I determine this clicking is coming from the wiring harness right there, hidden beneath my oh-so-conveniently-placed air intake line. Then I realize my fan was never on. So I'm hoping it's just a relay, maybe a fuse. Any help is welcome. <laughs> Excuse me. Any help is welcome. Bless you. Thank you. What do you guys think? That that was a pretty good ex- explanation, though. Yeah, I, I think that he's got, he's got, you know, the clicking noise he's hearing could be several things. What happens when the engine overheats? It'll turn the AC compressor off. Now, if it's borderline in that, you might hear the clutch flutter a little bit. But if that cooling fan is not coming on, he's in, in, in town driving. 
that's the reason for the overheating and the AC not working because when it reaches a certain temp, it's going to turn that compressor off. With it just sitting there running and him hearing the clicking noise, it could be the relay trying to get that fan to run and that fan's not running. Uh, I would be checking that circuit to see if he had voltage down there to that fan and ground because it might just be a bad fan. A bad fan motor. Yep. Okay. All right, so um, better to bring it to you guys, or since he seems to maybe know a little bit about this, other than all he did was an inspection, he's not saying he's tried to fix it. Uh, probably to fix it, I would just, I would uh, maybe, uh, if you can drive it, go ahead and drive it, or if you're afraid to drive it, have it hauled in to a bumper-to-bumper certified service center. Well, Dave, you know, we're back to that testing again. Like, for instance, if we had that car at one of our shops at the bumper-to-bumper certified service center, we would hook a scan tool up to that. We would turn the key on. We would go in there to our bidirectional controls on our scanner, and we would turn that fan on to see if it would run. That tells us that that circuit is good. The relay's good. The fan's running. Everything's working. Then we'd have to, if, if it's all working through that but not working when the engine's running, then it's going to be a control issue. What's keeping it from coming on? Then we would be looking in a different area for that, right, Doug? Yes. So, so, but, but if he doesn't have that equipment, you know, I, I can't speak for whether or not he needs to can fix it or able to fix it. I just know that the way we would do it would be probably completely different than the way he's going to have to do it. So you're saying test, don't guess. And uh, run it through, run it through the sieve of your experience, and uh, you'll come up with the answer of what's causing the problem. Well, he won't have to guess and buy a relay and put it on there and say that didn't fix it, or buy a new fan assembly and put it on and say, well, that didn't fix it. I got a problem. I can make it run, but it still won't come on when it's supposed to. Because those fans on that car right there, they got a low speed and a high speed. When it comes on, if it runs for a little bit and it don't satisfy, it's going to kick the speed up on it and run it even higher. Yeah. And that fan is also supposed to come on not just with engine coolant temp, but with AC pressure. The head pressure reaches uh, 275, 300 pounds. It's going to turn that fan on. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, he's he's got some variables there, but I don't know if he's qualified to check them in the proper way. All right, guys. Go ahead, Joe, or, uh, uh, Duck. What was it you wanted to throw in there? And most people don't have that scanner. I mean, because they're high-dollar scanners. So yeah, save you, save yourself some big money and, and go to your bumper-to-bumper certified service center and, uh, you know, avail yourself of their technology. Yes. Well, yeah. Let us do our job because we're pretty good at it, Dave. All right. When we come back, Gary has a 2000 Ford Excursion Limited 10-cylinder 6.8-liter engine. And he talks about his truck overheating. you got to like this guy because he says that his truck overheated with uh, the fluid puking out of the overflow tank. First time I've heard your overflow tank puking. We'll find out more about it when we come back here on the uh, uh, Joe and, and Duck segment of the uh, Dave Ellswick Show. We do this every Wednesday. you got a question, 823-0965. 823 we got 13 minutes till 9. 
We got traffic. We got weather. Let's do it here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right. We got two great questions here to finish up uh, the, the, the show. One from a guy, one from a, a lady. Uh, here is Gary. Uh, Gary has himself a uh, 2000 and uh, 2004 Excursion Limited, 10-cylinder, 10, uh, 10 6.8 liter. Was driving down the highway, and all of a sudden the truck overheated with fluid puking out of the overflow tank. Let it cool down and drove home. Since then, new thermostat, flushed the system, pressure tested and passed, new radiator, which was partially clogged, new radiator cap and water pump seemed to be fine. The only way to stop it from overheating is to run with the heat on so the heater core is also fine. I bled the system many times to get rid of any air bubbles. Even with the new radiator, the lower radiator hose is lukewarm at best. I'm lost to what else it could be. What could be my problem? Joe? Well, I'm going to say that uh, there's a good chance that on the uh, if I, I, the water pump thing kind of bothers me a little bit. Because I would want to know if it if it overheats in town, slow driving, or on the highway at higher speeds. <clears throat> because okay. the standard rule of thumb is that the faster you drive, the higher the RPM, the faster you have to flow water. So he may have a water flow problem, which could be, even though the water pump's not leaking, it could be an impeller issue wore down or something going along with that, causing it not to flow fast enough at highway speeds. If it's an in-town overheating thing and he puts it on the highway and it cools down, but it only overheats in town, I'd be looking at the fan clutching the fan. What do you think, Duck? Well, uh, that's kind of where I was headed to, Joe. I I think that he's probably uh, didn't give us quite enough information to know if it's doing it on the interstate or doing it around town. But there again, you can put a scanner on it and go drive it and see what it's doing. Okay, that that yeah, the computer just really opens the window uh, for you guys to see what's going on uh, in the engine. Without that, you're doing like this guy. You're kind of flying blind, aren't you? Exactly. You just replacing parts, you know. Yeah, I would also, you know, there's a couple other things to do. You know, you want to look at that engine and say, well, all right, on the initial overheating, did he Dan, Dan will kind of tweak a head gasket or something, and it's leaking a little bit. And if you if you drive the vehicle and it, it gets air, carbon uh, gases back into the coolant system, it'll cause it to cavitate and not flow properly. Uh, you know, there, there's there's a few things here, but we don't have quite all the information we need to really help him, but... In talking about it, we're giving him that information. Right. Okay. So he, he may be able to figure it out, you know. Yeah, you get that information, find it out. And you can always give us a call or send us a, an email about it. All right. Finally, Tamari. Yeah. Tamari has a 2008 Nissan Altima SL, four cylinder, 2.5 liter. This is an interesting question. What would cause my car? to not move yesterday i backed out of a parking space and when i put my car into drive my steering wheel became stiff and my brakes wouldn't press down 
My car comes on, but I can't hear the cranking noise. The air, radio, and lights come on, but the car won't move. I've replaced the battery because it died, but that wasn't the problem. On my dashboard, I've got a yellow key light, brake light, oil light, and battery light all on. What is the problem here? Well, it sounds to me like that he's got a uh, security issue. And, okay. and, you know, if the engine died and, the, and it doesn't recognize the key, it's not going to let it crank again. You can put the key in it and turn it on and everything will light up. But the engine's not going to crank. And if he put a battery in it, uh, it, it's definitely not the battery. But the little key symbol up there tells me it's a security issue. What do you think, Doug? Exactly. When they said key, the key light's on... Go find you another key. If you have another key that's original key, try it and see what it'll do. Okay. So you think no, that it, it, you think the chip is not talking to the car? Is that right? Exactly. Well, when you put that key in the ignition, there's a halo there. It's got to recognize that key. It won't let it crank. And if you went out there and jumped the solenoid and got the engine to crank, it's still going to shut the fuel off. It's not going to let it run. And it, and, and it's basically back to one thing. Again, if you could plug a scanner into this and go in there and see if you have key recognition codes in there, it's an easy thing to diagnose. Correct, Doug? Yeah, I had a uh, uh, Mitsubishi the other day, Joe. Lady pulled up to Walmart, cut it off, went inside Walmart, come back out. Wouldn't start. Uh, I told to the shop. I called him. I said, "Hey, have you got another key to this car?" He said, "Yeah." She keeps it in her purse. She come over there with him. Give me the key. It's stuck key, and it lit right up. Huh? Yep. Well, why? Tell our listeners why would a key fail? Why would it be working? You know, at a certain instant, you come back out from a Walmart or wherever you're at, and it won't work. What What has happened? Sixty-four million dollar question, Dave. <laughs> okay. They just, a lot they of just times, go bad. A lot of times, the key itself has got a uh, <clears throat> a chip in it, and once that key goes up close to the ignition switch, it's in a halo, and that halo is pinging that chip, saying, "Talk to me, give me your number," and it transmits back a number, and it says, "That's the correct number. It's the password." So it'll let the ignition function as far as cranking the engine and, and the engine starting and running. But sometimes those keys from getting beaten, banged around, dropped, get water, moisture on them, that chip will get damaged. And when it gets damaged and it doesn't function, that car is going to say, this ain't the right key. We're not going to let you crank. We're not going to let you run. Wow. And it can happen from turning it off to turning it on the next time. It can happen that quickly. Yes, it can. And and that's what this lady did. She said, what do I need to do? I said, you need to get another key made for her. So I sent her over to the key shop, and he made her a key and programmed it. You know, but uh, she said, well, can I use this key? I said, to open the doors, and that's it. Yeah, it doesn't do the really important thing, like communicate with uh, your internal internal computers in your car. No. 
And that caused the password is looking. It's just looking for a password to say that you have the proper key to start that engine. So interesting. Well, that day takes care of it for this week, guys. Great job. Good, right. good answers for people. You, you guys are on it today. You, you guys did it. the job. All right. Both uh, Joe's Garage and Duck's Garage are open for business. Uh, if you're worrying about social distancing and all of that, don't. Uh, you can call them, make an appointment, just stop by, drop your keys off. Uh, they'll figure out what's wrong with your car, call you, then you can come out and pick it up. And, uh, you know, you don't have to do, uh, you don't have to come in contact with any person. Isn't that right? Exactly. Right. And then you guys clean the car before your people get into it. You you sanitize it, and then you sanitize it again before you give it back uh, to the customer. You do a good yeah, job, guys. Yeah. Keep up the good work. I appreciate you being on today. We're out of time. I'll talk to you next week. Joe, I may talk to you tomorrow. need to give you a call so that we can try to get that auto start fixed on my car, and we'll set up a day to do that, okay? All right, man. All right. Talk to you later. Thank you very much. Tomorrow, Thursday, we'll start off with JR. We're going to have some people from the president's office talk to us tomorrow. Tell us what uh, the governor found out with the president. He's meeting with him today in Washington, D.C.